Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson and I are The Last Nighters. You can find us at lastnighters.com and also on the Liberty Movement's YouTube channel. This episode is going to be a 4th of July special and we're going to have our friend Snobby Bobby. He joined us last year for The Patriot for the 4th of July. This year, it's going to be the great Steven Spielberg flick, Jaws. And uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a film that finally the stars have aligned where Robert and Bobby and I are hopefully going to all agree that we enjoy a film. Uh, Bobby's been on for the Patriot. He's been on for uh, Contact, and he was also on for Big Trouble in Little China. And he's making a triumphant return tonight for Jaws. Welcome back to the show, Snobby Bobby. I'm putting on, putting you on main screen. And uh, this episode, uh, what is it anyway? Um, 184 of the show. So find show notes and more at lastnight.com/slash 184. Snobby Bobby, tell us about yourself and where we can find what you do. Let's not memory hole the Demolition Man episode, even though we do like to memory hole that when it comes to the the relationship that Robert and I, uh, aka on this episode, Alan Quartermain, are uh, are creating. Uh, so it's great to be back with you, Daniel and Alan Quartermain. Uh, I like his straw fedora. Uh, I wish it was leopard print around the what do they call that the, the little belt around the hat there. What was the question, Daniel? What do you do? Where can we find you? And uh, you got oh, yeah, any other projects or things you want to plug? Yeah, I'm I'm the host of the Not For Everyone podcast. It's, uh, it's uh, if you like movies and film, which I assume you do, watching uh, watching the Last Nighter slash Actual Anarchy. Uh, I would like to refer you over to our show if you like uh, movies and film, and then also just juvenile humor and uh, uh, politically incorrect, edgy stuff. Edgy stuff. We try to we try to fight the. Um, the tyrants of, of uh, cancel culture and, 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 and the patriarchy and the patriarchy and the, the speech code of this dystopian nightmare that we're living in now. But at least we can uh, put on straw hats and, and sit in a lake and, and podcast. So there is give and take in the world, I guess. Right, right. Well, and, and Robert, I think with the size of that hat, you're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> you know why it's so damn oh. hot, Daniel? Climate change, man-made climate change. I've seen all the articles. Don't try to That's convince right. me otherwise. Capitalism, capitalism, and the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes, I'm glad I'm on the right show tonight, guys. You're Sorry. on the right side of history, Bobby. I'm, I'm on the right side of history. Sitting here <laughs> in my room, haven't left in over a year. Um, yeah, and then uh, also I work. Uh, I work very closely with um, Buck Johnson and now Thaddeus Russell over at Renegade Media. And Renegade University. I'd like to uh, shamelessly plug those guys, uh, Counterflow Podcast, and then, of course, uh, the legendary Thaddeus Russell on uh, Unregistered, and also Renegade University, uh, which I've been taking some classes in, and you guys might uh, be in the freedom libertarian ilk, and, and, and you've probably heard his show and heard him talk about it. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't checked it out, it's, uh, it exceeds expectations. It's highly recommended. I'm currently taking a class with Daniel McCarthy about the history of conservatism. Well, that sounds downright interesting, Bobby. So I want to put show notes at lastnarrows.com slash 184. We want links to your show. We want links to Renegade University. If you've got a promo code or anything like that, affiliate link, uh, send it my way. We will also have a couple of um, things related to this particular film that I think we're going to be discussing in just a few moments here. But uh, I do appreciate you making the time to, to come back on with us. Um, not only is it a day early uh, because of the heat and Robert's lack of air conditioning there, therefore he created podcast swimming or swim casting, swim casting, I think was the right word. So 
You know, he's he's creating things. Unlike me, all I do is criticize things. I don't create anything like inward singing or swim casting. Anyway, when I when I uh, first arrived here and I saw Robert on the uh, the old uh, inner tube there, um, I thought to myself, is Robert a like a floral board shorts guy? And then I thought, no, I think he's more of a uh, cut off denim guy. But, uh, you know, not uh, unexpected, but uh, surprisingly, at the same time, he is just a regular black nylony swimsuit trunk swim trunks yeah if he was going the other way we would have been doing deliverance can i make (laughs) them can i make that my green screen background (laughs) anyhow uh why don't we get started with this bad boy i'm going to pull up what we call the google description and i usually set this up beforehand but i have been way behind on things so let's see if i can get this to do it in real time uh let's see I'm going to add it to the stream and enhance. Okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay, here we go with the Google description, which, oh, I almost forgot. What's the movie we're talking about tonight, Roberts? Wow. That's right. It's Jaws, everyone. Nice Nice title card, Daniel. I like it. Thank you. I'm doing what I can. Doing what I can here. All right, so Google description. Let's go. It is Jaws from 19... 75 by the great Steven Spielberg. It has an 8 out of 10 on IMDb, 98% Rotten Tomatoes, 87% Metacritic, and 88% of Google users dog whistled it. The description reads, when a young woman is killed by a shark while skinny dipping near the New England tourist town of Amity Island, police chief Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider, wants to close the beaches, but Mayor Larry Vaughn, played by Murray Hamilton, overrules him, fearing that the loss of tourist revenue will cripple the town. Ichthyologist, I'm making that up. Uh, Matt Hooper, played by a young Richard Dreyfus, and grizzled ship captain Quint, played by the great Robert Shaw, offer to help Brody capture the killer beast, and the trio engage in an epic battle of man versus nature. Release date June 20, 1975, directed by Steven Spielberg on a budget of $9 million, spawned numerous sequels, and this kicked off the trend of the summer blockbuster. Robert, your opening salvo, please. Well, it's kind of ironic. You have a politician who wants to keep things open so that commerce (laughs) can happen. As opposed to these days, politicians like to shut things down and exert their authority power over people. Uh, It's it's quite the reversal. Um, I suppose capitalism gets blamed regardless of which happens, even when it's politicians doing one thing or another. But yeah, the movie is, uh, it's a classic. You can see why it spawned like infinite monster. Well, there were monster movies before Jaws, but you had all kinds of, you know, Piranha. You had all kinds of Jaws knockoffs. You had Jaws itself, 2, 3, 3D, Jaws the Revenge. I mean, you can just see why it was so, so successful. Um, but it's probably most successful due to, I mean, it's got a tight script for the most part, even though it's like two hours and 12 minutes long, it doesn't, you don't feel that runtime. It's got great acting. Uh, Quint is fantastic. Um, Richard Dreyfuss is even pretty good. And that's kind of rare for him. He's okay, but I wouldn't say that, you know, you got to go to a movie to see Richard Dreyfuss acting because he's just amazing. He's, he does his Dreyfussy things. And then uh, the sheriff, you know, he's, uh, he's okay. He's serviceable. I'll say he's serviceable. He's more of an everyman sheriff as opposed to any kind of like distinguishable character. 
but the you know it would be you'd have to go back and look at movies before jaws to really appreciate i think the impact that it had because we kind of take it for granted all the things that we get out of this movie i can't name for certain all the things that we get but it really set a different tone i want to say and uh i don't know i, I just think it's we're better off that the jaws is in the world than 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 not as, as far as film buffs go so uh i think that the um the allegory to to capitalism failing uh it's kind of silly what with the uh, modern day happenings going on but i don't know man i'm uh i'm just happy to be on a lake in 112 degree weather floating in the water talking to you on a magical phone and uh swim casting to all you great people well clearly capitalism has failed if you can swim cast exactly you can't build you exactly. can't build those iphones if you if you close down the beaches for a, an occasional shark attack that's right. But I think right. this has got all kinds of fun little moral questions. I mean, was the mayor right to keep things open? Was the, was the, uh, you know, all that stuff. Uh, those will be, those will be some fun questions to tackle. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I kind of like that you brought up the whole politicians wanting to uh, keep things open where it's kind of the reverse in this, uh, in this, um, in the reality of an, of an issue. And I wonder if, the political class and bureaucrats in the current uh, crisis were thinking of themselves as the Roy Scheider character from Jaws, where they're the ones sounding the alarm. And then it was orange man bad who was just ignoring them and wanting to keep the economy open and, and all of those things so that they viewed themselves heroically resisting the, uh, the political or the, uh, the totalitarian <laughs> um, president at the time. And and they were trying to sound the alarm and and be the Roy Scheider character to be the hero here, but uh, ironically, um, it seems as though now they were doing that and and pumping up numbers however way they could, incentivizing um, classifying things as a certain uh, category versus not, uh, incentivizing that in many many different ways monetarily and also in stoking up mass media fear and things like that. But now that there's a quote unquote solution out there, they seem to be minimizing those things and, and juicing the stats in the other direction uh, to where they are now uh, doing the exact opposite. Uh, it just happens to be something that in their uh, crony friendship um, relationships uh, where they can shut shutter entire economies and destroy trillions of dollars in value so that a couple of s select uh, crony companies can then make billions of dollars. It doesn't seem like a very fair trade to me, but Bobby, let's go to you for your opening take on our opening take and anywhere you want to take us in this film discussion tonight on Jaws. Well, unfortunately, Roy Scheider's character of Brody did not have um, the PCR test to see if if these were legitimate uh, shark attacks. Um, and, and And here's my opening diatribe here. Um, and, and I will say, uh, Robert, based on your opening comments, I feel like this is we're going to gel real well tonight. It's going to get real, real weird. Uh, in real chummy. Chummy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, chum it up. God damn, that's good. That was good. I didn't think of that. All right. <clears throat> Though I've seen this movie my entire life until two nights ago, I hadn't sat down and watched it from beginning to end in about 20 years. 
Upon this realization, I was anxious for disappointment. Would I find it aged or stale? Inviting an uninvited in internal conflict between nostalgia goggles and 30-something jaded subconscious asking, is Jaws as good as we like to think it is? I'm happy to report I stamped out this paranoia about three minutes into the runtime. Jaws is a watershed moment in both Spielberg's career and in commercial filmmaking in general. Some credit it as being the first blockbuster. I would probably maybe argue that perhaps Planet of the Apes is a contender as well, but I mostly agree. Uh, throughout the 50s and 60s, we saw pop cinema markets flooded with every variety of cartoon cowboys, womanizing international spies, supernatural monsters, and allegorically Soviet space aliens. But one theme that seemed to have fell by the wayside, maybe since Moby Dick, was reimagined and sometimes accidentally brilliant by uh, writer Peter Binchley, Carl Gottlieb, and the up-and-coming director Steven Spielberg. And that theme is man versus nature. And not just nature, not just earthquakes or volcanoes or Dante's Peak. I'm talking about real-deal animal predator nature. Uh, this movie is, is not only a prime example, but uh, the prime example of a young 70s filmmaker accidentally catching lightning in a bottle, paying their dues to the movie gods and unintentionally setting a profound new precedent for filmmaking. Does Jaws hold up? Tune into Actual Anarchy to find out. Wow, that's pretty good, man. I think that uh, we should add some written content to our to our website and uh, commission some articles out of you. <laughs> All right, I'm down. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, that's a that's a nice open, and I I understand <laughs> what why. Hop, when... What would Hoppa say about Beverly Hills Cop? <laughs> that is not a good movie. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop Three. That'd be uh, so funny if you guys could get him on to do that. Oh man! Anyway, sorry, yeah, that'd ahead. be a dream come true. <laughs> the dream. We're, we're living the dream right now, having you on, Snobby Bobby. Uh, yeah, I, I like your your take on this, and uh, I understand why. When I said, "Hey, could you move it up a night for the recording?" You're like, "Well, I'm I'm still preparing, and and I don't know if I'll be ready in time." So it seems like you maybe only got partway through your essay there. Well, let me let me burst your bubble. That's literally all the notes I have for this conversation. <laughs> so let's, you know, I'm just along for the ride now. All right. Well, that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so I kind of want to. Um, go back a little bit to the, uh, the concept of likening the current world problem with JAWS and, and it representing a problem that uh, we, we see how a government and, and a, a community reacts to it. And it reminds me of our conversation, Robert, with Bob Murphy when we were talking about They Live. And it might have been in the pre-show bonus content available for our Patreon supporters at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. But he was talking about... Um, how when they shut down um, a lot of the retail businesses, grocery stores and whatnot, and only let the big players um, be the only place that people could go to, it cut out all the smaller shops and it also corralled people, funneled them into a higher density 
of being closer together versus being dispersed and also allowing the market and entrepreneurs to figure out how they were going to cater to their clientele and their customers based on what they thought would be the best thing to um, cater to those risk assessments that different people wanted to have. So you would end up having stores that have you know, very rigorous cleaning and, and masking and distancing policies, and then some that are a bit more relaxed and others that don't require those things at all. And people could self-segregate into whatever they were most comfortable with. Uh, that would allow for further dispersion. And also it would allow market knowledge to be gained by trial and error and experimentation and see what things worked versus what didn't versus this top-down bureaucratic totalitarian control concept that they uh, shoved down everyone's throat, uh, unconstitutionally, I might add, um, where we don't really see what the effects could have been had people been able to choose uh, voluntarily what they would like to try to make something be better than otherwise. And so we lost all sorts of information and learnings that could have been um, available to us. And we also had one of the biggest wealth transfers in history by the connected large companies through protectionist policies remaining open and available and funneling all that business into those locations while the middle and small family-owned style businesses were shuttered completely. Uh, so I know that doesn't have a lot to do with JAWS, but I wanted to get it out there because th I thought it was really interesting. And um, I meant to say at the beginning in JAWS, you know, they said, get out of the water when they're like saying uh, there's like a panic or something to be worried about. Well, back when uh, the current world problem started happening, they were like, get out of the grocery store. It's dangerous to go get groceries. You got to wipe everything down and, and all that. So, Robert, I want to see if you can riff on that at all and then uh, maybe steer us back toward the movie, if you will. Well, there is, you're right that there has been data lost. If they had allowed people to operate according to their own ideas, the market would have been infinitely innovative in its approach at a solution and cater to all levels of the market, as you are correct. But we do have some information. A lot of places were way more open or didn't shut down at all compared to places that did. And we can compare those two places like South Dakota, Florida was largely more open. Georgia and Texas have been more open. Uh, some of the Norwegian countries have been more open. And we can compare those to places that shut down. And they're probably, and I think as I recall, I don't have the data in front of me, but those places did just as well, if not better, than the places that all locked down. I mean, I think New York and California were the most locked down, and those were some of the worst places. Uh, I mean, those are also some of the more densely populated, and most of the deaths came from the cities, mostly due to governmental meddling, throwing sick people in with old people. That's a recipe for basically murder. But um, yeah, I just I just like that no matter what a politician ends up doing, you know, capitalism gets the blame. This is a failure of the market, even though you can't call it a market action at all. And even with uh, the Jaws movie, um, it, the fact that the mayor says, no, we're keeping this place open. Well, I guess he's not forcing businesses to close, but they are, they are hiding information. Just like in yeah. today's life, they hide information, they obfuscate, they change the information to suit their narrative or their agenda the best. In Jaws, the mayor with his lackey, the 
or the the coroner, they look at the the shark the shark victim, and they're like, "This is a boating accident." Even though there's all these teeth marks, and it takes like the marine biologist guy like ten seconds to diagnose that it was a shark attack, even maybe even less. I mean, he he just looks at it, glances at it, and he's like, "This is obviously a shark attack." So this is completely realistic this movie the way the government behaves i mean it would be more realistic probably if the mayor shut everything down and then stood up and said look at me i'm the hero for saving you from the evil shark attacks that'd be more in line with 2020 and 2021 but it is it does show how government will keep information from the public that would have been very very handy i don't know if the they necessarily have a moral obligation to inform the residents of the town that there was a shark attack but i would have appreciated the information had i had gone to that beach that day or even lived in that area i would like to know so this is all solved with the market if the beach was private you know they could easily punish the beach owner for not sharing the information. Uh, the incentive is fairly similar. Like everybody doesn't want their kids getting killed by a giant shark. So maybe the reaction to a shark attack or maybe they'd have better shark defenses or better shark hunters. I, I think it's funny that that the, the government in the movie goes to the private sector mm-hmm. to save them from the shark. They hire Quint, a private actor, to save them as an expert in shark hunting because that's what government does. They hire people with taxpayer dollars to do things that need to be done. I don't know if there's a lot of pork ba- pork barreling when it comes to shark hunters. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. I, I, there's a reason why I suggested this film because I think it is kind of a fun allegory to compare and contrast to the last year. Um, and and there were actually like memes and stuff online comparing guys like DeSantis or Greg Abbott to the mayor from Jaws. Everyone's going to get killed. And what this really all boils down to is, like you said, uh, what direction do we want to go as far as allowing the private sector to react, allowing individuals to to uh, calculate their own risk assessment, the flow of information, the flow of accurate information, all that stuff. So I don't know if this is a f- fair comparison but if you take into consideration that statistically sharks are responsible for six deaths a year so we have a situation in which someone dies from a shark attack um there might be some squabbling over whether or not to close that particular beach down in which that shark attack happened but if we apply this to what we've experienced in the last year there's squabbling about there's a shark attack. Let's close down all the beaches and 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 not let and not let people leave their beach houses. Right, all around the world. All around, all around the, the world. world. There's a shark attack in Florida, so shut and, down and, every and, beach everywhere. And granted, that's a that's kind of a cartoonish like portrayal or comparison because it's it, it boils down to like, well, the shark's not contagious. The shark doesn't infringe on. Uh, like it, the shark's not a zombie. If a shark bites a person, it doesn't turn into a, a shark zombie person that can bite other people and spread the zombie shark virus. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, 
a little bit of separation there, but I think ultimately what it boils down to is like I said, is like the flow of information in allowing people to assess their own risk. And even, you know, I was thinking about this too. It's like, yes, you might detract some tourists to your town. If you happen to mention that there's a shark attack or there was a recent shark attack, but I don't think that that would be so profound as to like, perhaps even destroy the local economy. Cause I think when I go to the beach, like I don't really get in the water that much. Like I might dip my toe out there. And uh, if I was aware that yes, shark attacks are something that happened though, there are only about five or six of them a year. I'm going to take my chances. What side of the beach is the giant shark on? How close am I to that? <laughs> There's all kinds of variables here that you can consider. But I, th I think that what's fun about this show is we, we can pick apart that, um, that situation uh, at nauseum to the point where I think Sp Steven Spielberg and, and the writers of this movie would be would be uh, nauseous listening <laughs> listening to us do this. So. That describes just about every episode that we do. Um, <laughs> but I, it sounds uh, like you're maybe you're referencing the critique by Slavov Sisek. Uh, I'm totally butchering his name, but he had uh, a video or an essay that he discussed Jaws as an allegory for capitalism and all the different trappings and problems that were inherent in it. And that was sort of the underlying theme and message uh, with this movie itself. Um, of course, I'm going to disagree uh, in a lot of respects, but um, I will post it on our show notes page because it is very interesting. And in, in fact, I think it was uh, recommended to us by the great Pete Quinones of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast during one of his recent appearances with us, maybe on the JFK episode. But um, Robert, I know that you watched that as well. Uh, do you have any, you know, 30 second elevator pitch on what it was and what your major two or three issues with it would be? Well, I can I can go back to my hazy memory of it. Uh, as I recall, the mayor was capitalism, putting profits above people so that we're going to make a lot of money if a whole bunch of people come into this town and having a shark, having a dangerous situation is okay. It, it, it really ignores the fact that there's risk in all life, everyday life. At one point in the movie, the bereaved mother whose son died slaps the sheriff. And you know what? I'm not against slapping sheriffs. If they deserve it, go ahead and slap the shit out of those people. I don't care. I'm not going to cry any crocodile tears for any sheriffs to get slapped, especially by bereaved mothers. But she's upset that the sheriff knew about a shark attack. Well, okay, I guess that would be information that I would want to know. Although he wasn't 100% sure there was a shark attack. He was going off his experts. He was going off for the science. The science told him that it was probably a boat attack. You know, those boats, they're always out attacking people. And yeah. so he's operating off of incomplete information. And sure, later on, it's obvious it was a shark attack. After the lady's son gets killed, clearly it's obvious to everybody that's a shark attack. But there were no witnesses to the original shark attack. So for her to get upset about that, and then it's also upset, it's all kind of dumb for them to think, well, I mean, like Bobby's point, there were there are only six shark attacks a year. However, there is always a risk whenever you go outside that you are going to be surrounded by viruses or 
affairs or, or car accidents or car accidents or any kind of risk. Yes, there are percentages and we can look at the, the rarity of a, of a, an attack or a bad thing happening, but that doesn't mean you're immune. It just means you're rolling the dice and you are taking the odds and you're gambling and you're gambling that you're not going to run into a shark on this swim trip. Right. And there's also so, choices that you can make to avoid more risky areas like going down dark alleys. Right. And, and, and risk isn't uh, an inherent aspect of capitalism. It's as if so under socialism, there would be no risk. <laughs> no, so, no food, not no risk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. As if, as if, as if, you know, you could just shut down the, the beach and there'd be no consequences. Right. The, the argument, I guess, is that, well, if under, under socialism or communism, you would just shut it down and you just shut down the economy and everything's fine because we can just print money forever and there's never any bad consequences to that happening. Or, wait, or wait, nobly redistribute it without any kind of corruption. Just like, oh, we have these this slush fund reserve for these types of shark attack in, in, in situations for towns when we have to destroy their economy. Right. And you guys are, of course, talking about socialism, not present day America, right? <laughs> oh no, we're totally we're full we're full on CCP infiltration at this point. <laughs> you know, one, one thing that um, I thought when 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 she slaps him, obviously she doesn't know that he's the one guy who actually is aware that this might be a shark. He's the most like, yeah, this is probably a shark person out there. And in fact, he tried to close the beaches. She's not aware that he was being lied to by the bureaucratic class and and the mayor with uh, their cozy relationship and and manipulating the science to uh manufacture the result and the and the uh the information that they wanted it to say right when the coroner goes back and says oh this is a boat attack because of pressure from the mayor that is the obfuscation that is the manipulation of the data that goes towards the politicization of scientism or science Mm -hmm. and that creates scientism and we see that in present day obviously as well Um, related to um, the notion that there being a shark attack or six um, and there's probably more than that in this movie alone but um, I wonder if now this would ruin the movie of course but what if you took the situation and rather than saying, oh, it's going to ruin our economy. People aren't going to come to the beach because of the shark. What if you played it up the other direction? Oh, we've got this crazy shark thing happening. Come on down. Check it out. We're doing boat tours and come and see if you can spot the shark from the beach and come come town, come to town and get the three night stay, get the shark fin soup, whatever you want. You know, turn it around into a, a big uh, publicity marketing campaign that actually increases tourist dollars into the town. Yeah, if you had a, because later on in the movie, at the very end, they finally see Jaws for the first time, right? And they're like, holy smokes, that's a three-ton, 25-foot shark. Mm -hmm. That would be a marketing point for any city in the world would love to have something like that that they could put on their marketing (laughs) material. Come see the biggest shark in the world. (laughs) Yeah, and you could get like, uh, you could, you could... Like, you know, uh, hey, don't get in the water if you don't want to. There's a big shark out there, but we're going to try to conjure it up in some way. We're going to, like, drop we're gonna drop a bunch of, uh, like, chum and, and, like, you know, things into the water to see if we can get you to see this. Like when you go on a dolphin tour, but in this case, it's a, it's a gigantic shark. And, and Daniel, uh, based on your, your twisting your pitch there, um, I would like to hire you for my public relations department uh, one day when I 
am an entrepreneur. You're going to turn that frown upside down, my man. Yeah, baby. It's all perspective. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, funny. I think, I think uh, Doom don't pay like the bills. World and Jurassic Park have proven that people would love to see something like that. And uh, what could go wrong? Yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned this. Um, my wife and I, we went to the Bahamas before we got married. And we did do one of those uh, dolphin tours. And we also did a uh, jet boat, speed boat tour out to some of the other islands in the Bahamas. And at one of these um, like little K things or whatever they are, they had us all get in the water and they had some handlers come out and they were attracting stingrays and sharks and bringing them up close to us. So we've got photos of the guys like putting bait out and getting the sharks like on this like hook thing and pulling them up out of the water and showing us now. The ASPCA is probably pissed off about this, but it's not their jurisdiction or whatever. But it was pretty freaking awesome. And uh, we were right next to the sharks and everything. And it was like a draw. You know, it was like a cool thing to go check out and see. And I know, Robert, when you went to Thailand, you had a similar experience with tigers. And you're you're still alive. I Allegedly, I am alive. Um, yeah, there was a picture of me laying on a tiger. It's... Uh, it's an amazingly large animal that could have ripped my head off if it wanted to. <laughs> Siegfried and Roy style. Yeah. People actually hang out Love with those, those things. Fellas. I mean, imagine how ferocious a house cat is. Then multiply that by a hundred. It was outrageously huge. Yeah. Terrifying. And and you, you ran a uh, risk assessment, a personal cost benefit analysis and decided, Hey, this is worth the experience. And you're there fine. were two guys there were two guys holding on to this cat. The, that cat could have thrown those two guys off like toothpicks and munched my head off. But it it was satiated. It was just chilling. And I was not the first one to climb up on the thing. So I felt okay. But wait, wait. Were you doing like, felt, were you like He Man on, 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 uh, on Battle, Battle cat? cat? Yeah. That's Battle right. Cat. That's right. It was exactly like that. As soon as I felt like its heartbeat, I was like, I felt it was very much a predator-prey situation, and I very much felt like prey in that moment. And I wanted to get off that thing. I was like, hurry up, snap the picture. I'm getting out of here. So was its heart like thump, thump, thump? It's like nice oh, and yeah. rhythmically slow, and you were like, da, 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 da. <laughs> like I was just rabbit. so impressed by how, how large and powerful those things are. I can imagine the same thing with a, a shark. I've been to the zoo. You know, I've seen like beluga whales swim around, but it's not the same as touching these monstrous things. I don't know, man. All right. So, anyway. Bobby, you got any more comments? I, I, I could take us in another direction. Yeah, just just I think I think what this boils down to on, on this kind of theme of this part of the conversation is is personal responsibility and risk assessment, what you're willing to um, uh, indulge in uh, voluntarily and accountability so as as we know that it is obviously easier to hold the private sector accountable than say a monopolist institution on course of violence known as the uh, the state so um i mean i don't know i it, what 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 i'm starting to realize now too and i and i know it's not a profound realization but like people just People just want to be told what to do, man. They just they just want to be instructed, and you better you better get it right. And even if you don't, they were all in on being told what to do. And you know, a lot of these people are like, well, you know, we we stood together as one and and tackled this 
this global shark pandemic. And it's just like, there's like, it's almost like, okay, we give people, we give general population too much credit as to be able to assess these situations the way we would, because they're just a bunch of lemmings that need to be like guided in one direction or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And and a lot of the last year has been um, media sensationalism and, and agenda, government agenda, corporate agenda, all kinds of things that have kind of muddied that water and, and made me lose faith a lot in what we philosophically, like as individuals hold um, to be preferable. Um, but again, it just boils down to like, what what is the better outcome in these situations? Do we let a corrupt bureaucracy call the shots that cannot be held accountable? Or do we let people figure it out and um, let the private sector provide what it can for these situations, whether that be uh, uh, flip it on its head, make it a, a PR attraction, or or just genuinely say, hey, we'd love to have you come out to our beach community for 4th of July. However, as you may have read in the news, there was a shark attack recently. You know, swim at your own risk. Yeah, there's yeah, only, I think there's, there's a lot. only six per year. There's a lot to be said for that. And also with the lemming class or NPC class, uh, which of course is a, a demonstration of uh, democracy failing and failing big time, uh, because it then in, in, in enables the political and bureaucratic class to have the political clout and political poll to infringe on individual choice and voluntary uh, non-coercive actions. But right. um, re- related to that, uh, the people who want to be told what to do, they want to be told by someone who's doing something, quote unquote, something, uh, because, and, and this is a political problem. You can't sit there and do nothing because then you catch hell for that. You have to do something. Uh, and if that's something that you're doing doesn't solve the problem, you can say, well, I didn't have enough power, money, or authority to do it the right way. So therefore I need more money, power, and authority uh, the next time this comes around. Or if they do uh, um, too much, uh, basically they, they come out smelling like a rose, no matter what they have to be doing something. They can't just leave it alone because if they do nothing, they get blamed for doing nothing. That's, that's ultimately the problem. I mean, I think that was beautifully put. It's ultimately the problem of just even old school and, and modern progressivism is like, Oh, the state's there to like, you know, like call the shots and we give them resources and, you know, utopian society, like we're going to, they're there to, uh, with the, with the best interest of the public in mind, blah, blah, blah. And that's ultimately the delusion. What I've, what I've come to realize here is that collectivists or, or people on the left or, or liberals or whatever you call it, they're so, um, invested in the entire foundation and crux of their ideology is based around faith in the institution because that's everything. And as soon as the institution fails, that's when things they have no other choice but to double down in that situation because they have again their entire worldview or or what they consider noble or moral or whatever is that the collective needs to take care of the downtrodden or 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 um nobly you know rescue the masses and take care of the public blah 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 and and they there's a complete disconnect there with like okay here's my intention of my philosophy or here's my intention of what, how, how I think the world should work versus how the world actually does work. So they cut off that second order thinking. There's no more, there's no like 
what are the results of this? It's like, oh, well, like we needed to defer to the institutions because what other choice did we have? And the institutions are a necessary uh, protection of, of the general public. And my ideology like completely, it, it's completely blinding to the, um, the uh, nefarious or corrupt or, or uh, disadvantageous or like negative outcomes of these decisions through the bureaucracy, um, unless it's politically convenient and orange man bad is in office. And then I'm going to start doubling, calling out all the, all the stuff that we would call or call out across the board. Right. 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 And then anytime there is a failure, not only is it, well, you didn't give me enough power, money or authority or staff or whatever, but it's also conveniently capitalism's failure. Yes. As Robert yes. was pointing out earlier. Yes. And that's, what's really, really disconcerting is like, and I, I don't know what else to, I guess you could use the term free market, but I don't think people that aren't into this shit really know what that means either. But like, and capitalism is what well, it's basically a Marxist term, right? If I'm not mistaken, um, the capitalist, the, the predator class or whatever, whatever you want to say, but people think that capitalism is inflated government power meets, or no, they think that it's just inflated, you know, markets or not inflated markets is the wrong way to put it but like the corruption of like the predator guy with the mustache and the monocle and the money and the influence over the political class buying the political system right exactly but there's a complete disconnect with that political system part like they don't understand that like 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 they maybe acknowledge it but they don't understand that like the inflated government apparatus plays just as big a role if not more what we call crony capitalism or what we're living in right now is literally like fascistic a fascistic economy where your um uh what do they call it uh uh you know you got barriers of entry for small businesses and then you just have these uh like lewis black has said um in the past with the enron thing it's like we realized with enron that it's just two two big dogs just like just fucking each other both, <laughs> both getting something out of it to quote Lewis Black but yeah but but again like what I say these collectivists these like people that are asleep or lemmings are not really paying attention they're into like the theoretical intention of the state or the or the the public institution they they have they have no ability to reconcile the actual outcome of it Right. Yeah. They're headline readers. Uh, if the bill is named something good, therefore it is good. Or the intention behind it is good. Uh, they, of course, don't I'm see a the patriot because corrupt... uh, the Patriot Act. <laughs> right. And, and they, of course, right. don't see the corrupt nature of just um, the political system in and of itself. But then they go and say that, well, the, the rich are buying political influence. Well, uh, I forget who I can attribute this quote to, but politicians sell political favors to the rich because uh, or the rich buy political favor from the politicians because the politicians have political favors to sell. I think I butchered that. Exactly. Enough, but, but basically that's, that's the system in, in, in and of itself allows them to have the ability to be corrupt. And had that system not been in place, then that level of corruption is no longer possible. Or yeah. You just, if you just dial back their power in general, the only people they have to answer to is the market or the people. I mean, this is like one oh one shit, but you know what I mean? Like, these people don't understand this though. Like no right. one wants like people that don't uh, that are not of our ilk will not put this together. And that's ultimately the the issue with kind of our philosophy is like it takes a lot of work to kind of get here. Um you gotta think two or three levels deep, maybe more. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people one, are just incapable of doing that or uninterested. Like I don't give a fuck about ballet, you know, 
I'm not going to sit there and, and debate with somebody about ballet that's clearly more qualified to comment on ballet. And I'm not saying I'm qualified to comment on economics, but I'm definitely more qualified to, to uh, comment on it more than like the average Joe, right? Because I've read like four books on economics. <laughs> you know? So it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, that's all it really takes. It's like, oh, you're already like, you already got the job. Cause, but, but this, that's ultimately, I think Michael Malice has talked about this before is like, if you, if you're not an expert on, or not, I, I hate to use the word expert because that's such a tainted term now, but if you're not someone that's informed on a particular topic, like you should not have a remnant of an opinion on it. Yeah. Just, or any, any influence on, policy or what's going to happen right. related to that thing that you know nothing about and that goes back to democracy the god that failed um people people are ultimately kind of dumb and right we give up and i'm not a i'm not a fascist i'm not into like a dictatorship obviously but like you maybe a benevolent kinda, monarchy yeah i'm <laughs> moving in that direction by the day it seems yeah reactionaryism post-libertarianism well, I'd like to shift us to um, a cultural reference or homage to Jaws, and that is the works of Kevin Smith, also who does a lot <laughs> of lefty critiques, progressive critiques of capitalism. And one of his uh, strongest movies, I think, is Mallrats, in which he names the main characters T.S. Quint and uh, Brody Bruce. So he's literally using the Jaws characters' names. I've for never his put that together. Characters. And uh, he makes numerous references to Jaws. Um, T.S. Quint is going to uh, propose to his girlfriend at Universal Studios when Jaws pops out of the water. Uh, in uh, Clerks, there's the reference to Salsa Shark. Uh, you were mentioning in the pre-show bonus content available for Patreon supporters that in Chasing Amy, they are doing the comparison of the various injuries and scars that they've acquired through sexual escapades uh, in Chasing Amy, whereas it's uh, man versus nature in um, the comparison between Dreyfus and uh, and Quint in in Jaws, um, which Robert, you were saying earlier that Quint is an amazing uh, performance in this, and I would agree. He's he's both charming and also kind of frightening. You know, he's like he's kind of all over the place. He's like singing at one point, and then he just drives that engine to to failure for seemingly no reason. And he's got this uh, class conflict with the working class hero and the university uh, rich kid snob um, Dreyfus kind of going on. Um, but I, I found that there was a very interesting dynamic in the characters and and uh, how they kind of played off of each other. And, and each one sort of um, brought something different to to the story. Yeah, absolutely. You got this classic trio. It's like a buddy cop movie, but there's three of them there where you got the, the straight lace guy who doesn't like the water, who barely even been on a boat before. And then you got the water guy who makes a living on the water, but yet he's had this horrific experience with all his comrades being eaten by sharks. So he's made it as like his life's mission to hunt the things down and kill them all. And then you have this marine biologist who is just fascinated and wants to know everything about these things. It's a, it's a fantastic trio. You could have an entire sitcom series or uh, adventure series with these characters. You could bring in some love interests. You could uh, do have them go on all kinds of different adventures. But this is like the classic tropey adventure trio that 
is rife for interesting dialogue and uh, connections to be made among these characters. It's a, uh, it's, it's it's fun what they accomplish in two and a half, two two hours and twelve minutes. Even though I still think Quint's the standout, I do appreciate uh, the other characters and what they were able to do with their screen time. Yeah, and and one of the other things I really liked, and and then Bobby will go to you, um, is the scene where Brody's on the beach, and he keeps thinking there's a shark and, and he's like seeing the kids screaming and, and things happening. And it's like, it's building all this tension the whole time. And then when the shark is finally like realized that it's there, there's that great uh, zoom dolly shot that it's happens where they're zoom. zooming and dollying at the same time. And so it like tries, it, it maintains Brody's apparent size, but then the background expands behind or, or sinks in behind him. It's like so cool and well done. Yeah, I really enjoy that. That's an old Hitchcock trick from uh, Vertigo, and I, I believe Scorsese's used it before, among other people. But um, there are two two shots in this movie I feel are are most iconic, and one of them is that one with the uh, I think they sometimes they call it the uh, Zolly shot, where they cheekily combine zoom with Dolly, and then the other one is where he uh, Brody's just kind of casually throwing chum out into the ocean, and then. He, it, it's such a brilliant jump scare and it, it's such a brilliant jump scare because accidentally here's a little trivia this movie was supposed to show the shark a lot more than it does um there was happy accidents as far as getting the shark to work and they basically they had to do a lot of things in this film on the fly and kind of ebb and flow and roll with the punches things like that and one of those major things that that makes this such a great movie, because because if you showed the shark the entire film and didn't just show kind of remnants of the shark or like little shadows of the shark, you're you're and and granted the characters elevate this film too, but ultimately you would have kind of a Roger Corman schlock, um, you know, man versus nature film. The the ten that came, the ten to twenty that came in the next six years after this, Piranha alligator uh orca things like that that robert was mentioning earlier but but Deep the point blue is sea. a shark uh, ate me i mean snakes on a plane it, like the list is endless right sharknado um, as much as we can attribute jaws to creating such great film after jaws we can also attribute it to just lighting the fuse for a lot of shit too and but, shark week but fun shit but um i guess what i was getting at is the like baby shark they realized halfway through production, by the way, this production was an absolute nightmare. Nobody had faith in this film. Spielberg thought he was done while he was making it. He didn't even stick around for the last shot of the movie. He's like, oh, my career's over. Uh, Dreyfus went on television and actually like started to backpedal. Talk about how like before it was released, he was like this movie, you know, it's nobody's fault, but it is what it is. Like kind of that kind of thing. Um, but what happened was the shark, the mechanical shark didn't work as well as they wanted it to. By the way, they're shooting all on real ocean for authenticity and things like that, um, which has more or less never been done to this magnitude. And um, because the shark malfunctioned, the mechanical shark or the puppet shark malfunctioned so much, they had no other choice but to have it be this lurking thing in the background for like the first two acts of the movie. Right. A lot of allusions to a show. A lot of a lot of that and a lot of the audience kind of filling in the gaps, things like that. And and that 
that's one of the tenets of why this movie is so praised is because of that ambiguity. Um, you don't want to show your monster throughout the entire film because ultimately you're going to have your audience become um, conditioned to it or desensitized to it. And in the final scenes and the final brilliant climaxes and, and character moments are just not going to have the same umph as they would have. Right. Yeah. And yeah. This is, this is, this is exactly what Ridley Scott did with the original alien movie mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you only see the alien monster for a few frames, probably in the first hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And that's, it just elevates the, the terror and and that's an old that's an old again another old Hitchcock uh, trick there is build the anticipation, and then maybe show your monster in the last in in the third act. Like if you look at Psycho, even then it's just like basically the silhouette of of Norman Bates. So it, it's just it is just that post Hitchcock. These kids in the seven, you got your Scorseses, you got your De Palmas, you got your Steven Spielbergs. To the lesser extent, you have your George Lucases who happen to get lucky. Um, growing up on this last school, this last class of, of brilliant filmmakers and stealing ideas from them. And, and we have things like Jaws. And again, this movie, like it won. I know I was being cheeky with my opening uh, opening comments, but this movie like holds up so goddamn well. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I think that the shark looks fine still. I would, you know, I would prefer a uh relatively subpar by today's standards uh like puppet or mechanical shark versus some sort of like 90s era cgi deep blue sea shark or something like that or to a lesser extent cabin boy if you've ever seen cabin boy (laughs) uh, one of my favorites um but but it's just such a monumentally brilliant movie and 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 i think you could show this this movie to any this is this is indie indie comments, I guess, but I'll go with it. You could show this to any kid that was into movies nowadays, even like you know nine ten year old kid today, and like it it it, it stands the test of time. No, I I'm glad with- you brought up. I'm glad you brought up the CGI because you're right. I mean, if you these days, or at least when uh, CGI was really becoming a thing. There is this lazy tendency to show every little last detail of everything all the time as much as you can. And you're going to paper over and CGI over any kind of like mistakes or laziness or anything like that. And you'll just fix it in post. But when you got this practical stuff and you're working with it on the set, you're going to come up with interesting ideas. You're going to be innovative instead of just shooting some stuff and then try and all fix it all together and editing and post. Uh, Yeah, I, that's why these movies hold up so well. Like the original thing holds up so well. Yep. And it does the, the same thing Indian where it holds back the monster. Draws. Yeah. And, and, and you can see like the humanity in this movie, as far as like the, I guess like the human endeavor of the filmmaking in jaws. If you're looking for it, you can find that. Um, and yes, maybe it doesn't look perfect in certain scenes, and maybe you're very aware that this is not a real shark, but it, it just oozes like ambition and hardship. Like this was again, this was a nightmare of a film. This was Spielberg paying his dues. Like it's almost like when you it, it's the same effect as when you find a really great live album of a band you like. And some a lot of live albums are absolutely terrible. 
uh whatever for whatever reason but like if you find that one that's just like oh my god bob dylan the band after the flood or whatever or like you know things like that um bob marley uh uh what's the one uh there's a lot of good live ones that marley did anyway the point is you 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 can pick up on the imperfections in in, in the humanity of of the aesthetic and and if you want you can embrace that and make it so much better than it is or you can be a sniveling cunt and be like hey that doesn't look very good this movie sucks you know yeah i i, I like that um Robert, this is a big thing that you like, and that's the working within constraints. Now, it sounds like from the narrative that that you're providing, Bobby, that they weren't even aware that they were doing anything like that great. Like they thought they right. were failing. They were just doing right. what they could because of the challenges that were being put before them. And they were not happy with the res what, what they thought they were going to be coming out at the end of this process with. And that's uh, often how I feel about our show. Like, Usually my wife watches the show and I go in after I'm like, you know, I, I barely even know what I said. I don't know if this is a good episode or not. But then when I edit the episode and I give it a listen after the end, I'm like, hey, it wasn't that bad. You know, it's, yeah. it's not on the genius yeah. level of Spielberg and, and Jaws here, but um, I can totally relate with the while you're crafting the thing, the, the whatever project you're working on and just being so dissatisfied with it and just being like totally removed from this is so far off from the vision I had going into it and just being unhappy with it. And then you come back and revisit it a little bit later and it's like, not so bad. It, it were actually worked out. The, yeah. The story of making jaws is almost as compelling as the story of jaws. And I would, I would highly recommend researching it and, and listening to us talk about it more on this show. Uh, and then going back and watching it because um, it is that like that. Uh, what's the word? Like a, uh, it's just that, rough and tumble like up and coming director dealing with a lot of like studio bullshit um they i think they were a hundred percent over budget just nightmare after nightmare the boat sank at one point <laughs> in real life um another fun fact uh the 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 scene uh richard drives character was supposed to die at the end in the cage right and they actually went and shot in australia or they had these australian um uh, uh, shark experts go and get a real shark to shoot that footage and they put a little person can you say midget still they put a little person in one of those cages and used a normal size shark but they didn't but but the, the shark destroyed the cage before they had the opportunity to actually put the person in there and they were like we don't know like this is some of the best shark footage i've ever seen in my life we want to use this in the movie and and they decided to just let richard dreyfus live because they didn't actually get the shots of him getting killed by the shark but they wanted to use that footage of the real shark. I think it works. So, now, now apply apply everything that we've just said to a uh, a government funded film about giant sharks. <laughs> I need more money. I need more staff. I need more authority. Fire up get that the shot, printer, baby. Get the shot how we want it to be. No, I yeah. think it, it is those constraints, and and it's almost like uh, how Robert Rodriguez approaches his filmmaking where he, he does a lot of practical things and he does things like innovative uh, to sort of account for what he can't do with money. You know, I can't afford to do it the right way. So I'm going to do it this inexpensive way that breaks a barrier and actually makes it even better. Yep. Yep. 100%. I've never thought of it that way, but that is dead on because if they were to make jaws for the first time today, it would just be focus groups and how are we going to shoehorn wokeness into this 
is the shark <laughs> non-binary um <laughs> things like give it little give it like a little pink little pink uh <laughs> little pink bangs or something it's smoking a clove cigarette and has a we uh, do never find out the uh, tattoo. the gender of the shark right i don't think so is it polite to ask i don't even know it's a shark they're all it doesn't matter they'll kill yeah. you whether they're male or female yeah. Well, well now he, wait a minute. No, isn't Jaws like two or three? Is it still the same shark, or is it like the son of Jaws or the whatever? Yeah, there's somewhere that you get into the kids of Jaws, but who knows if it's if it's the uh, the the son of Jaws, the mother, of the, okay. the mother. Yeah. But Brody blows up. I'm Jaws sure it's out there good. somewhere. Brody blows up Jaws pretty good in this one, um, but I I haven't seen Jaws two or three, so I don't know if there's like this mangled shark that. Don't bother. Don't bother with. Those. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in uh, the Great Outdoors when when uh, with John Candy. And there's the bear that's been shot in the head, so it's bald. It has like a little flat top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, well, speaking <laughs> of uh, this, this happy accent, do you think that, I mean, you said it's a Hitchcockian thing to sort of build up this tension and not show too much of your villain and your monster um, until near the end. And, and that's really all they could get because the mechanical shark kept failing and, and not working. So they could only get so much footage. Um, do you think that they kind of like accidented themselves into that? um hitchcockian kind of style unintentionally in a lot of ways yes because um for example when they realized the example you just gave when they realized that the shark i mean spielberg's on on in interviews talking about this and saying like when i realized the shark wasn't working the way we wanted it to i thought to myself what would hitchcock do mm. which we should make little little bracelets that say that um, right but um yeah so it's it's a happy accident and and it's a beautiful accident and it's it's again like researching the the process of making this movie just elevates it so much more um but yeah that's what that's what you got to do and, and that's what markets do if we want to tie it back to uh to economics here little economic um, lessons you yeah. might you might you might get a wrench in the gear from time to time and you got to use uh, you got to be quick on your feet use ingenuity and and uh, make a product uh, uh maybe not exactly how you planned it to be but sometimes that will uh, spark uh, spark a, a better one, right? I know um, with my kids when they're like drawing something and, and you know they're they're learning stuff and then practicing um, developing art skills and whatnot. And I remember when I was a kid, like I would be trying to do something and, and like a mistake would happen, and then I would sit there and go, okay, well, how can I incorporate this mistake into what I'm doing? And mm -hmm. I discovered like different things that I wouldn't have intended to do originally. And, I always I, draw with I'm, I, I draw as well. I always draw with ink a lot of times just to practice that skill. It's exact exactly that skill. You draw yeah, with ink and you can't, just don't let yourself erase. You'll figure out how to how to kind of navigate those waters. Yeah. All right. So I have one final comment. Then we get into final summary review. We can go with like maybe number of shark kills um, on this Fourth of July episode. Um, so we we talked about uh, this working within constraints and having s somewhat limited. Um, operational shark footage so robot chicken which robert i'm sure you've seen um my wife and i started watching it they're 10 minute episodes it's on hbo max and we we finished uh whatever we were watching before so now we just watch two or three of those and then we go to sleep and it's like it's so frenetic and, and it's all this stop motion animation but in i think episode 16 or 17 of season one they have a bit about jaws and they say oh because the mechanical shark didn't work there's all these scenes that we couldn't accomplish. And so then they recreate these 
missing scenes from Jaws and they're all hilarious. It's it's like the shark talking and, and doing like stupid shit and uh, it's hilarious. So um, Land I, shark, I, the, the, the SNL bit where he like knocks on the door. Yeah. <laughs> so so anyway, I just think that uh, happy accidents are are a, 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 you can fail forward basically, right? You can innovate by going um, outside of what you intended to start out with, and that's part of the entrepreneurial skill of overcoming obstacles and hurdles that get placed in front of you, and and just keep right. keep pushing forward. And if you and if you just have some kind of all these safety nets or CGI safety net. And you're not putting yourself in those situations where you need to overcome those mistakes. Then you Beautiful. don't learn and you don't innovate and you don't come up with new ideas and ways around problems and things like that. You just get lazy and you turn out shit. So Beautiful. I would much rather watch the original Jaws than any of its dumb sequels. I don't know. Maybe, maybe a few of its sequels hold up. I don't know. But so much of that crap in the 90s when CGI was coming out, it just, it breeds lazy filmmakers. Not to say that there aren't some good filmmakers that have good ideas, but when, when filmmakers just sit in a green screen, yeah, they, they're, they're going off of having a good idea. They got a strong concept. They got a strong script, but they're not failing. Like when a shot goes perfectly and then they've got the CGI guys to make it all perfect, you're not failing and you're not innovating you're not learning you're not thinking of new ways around this new problem and it's not you're not going to shoot your brain off into this new area that you never even knew existed before you started that's the point it's the stuff you don't know that you don't know about until you get to that point and you're removing that from the equation and that's why a lot of these movies suck and that's probably why bobby only talks about movies from a certain time period because uh yeah they they've lost something yeah yeah and and i think it might be why he walked out on on our recording uh yep. midstream here oh now see yeah. this actually makes the episode better that bobby spontaneously left so we can make a joke about him being dissatisfied with this episode but now he's come back due to some obligation because he did agree to be on our show tonight and we can't hear him oh because i muted him while he was Taking a leak. There we go. I really had to have a bio break, as they call it in <laughs> other countries. Um, so, no, I, I, I'm, re I feel really good about. That. I feel like this is the first episode I've done with guys where we actually like dug into the, um, the themes of of what we're trying to accomplish with this with your with your podcast here. So, uh, your accusation is false, Daniel. <laughs> um, is it final thoughts time? Sorry, I was in the can. Yeah, we can we can do some final thoughts. That's so if you want to kick us, yeah, let's let's uh, let's you kick it off there, Bobby, and give it a number of uh, shark fins in your shark fin soup, or number of shark kills on the beach in Amity Island. Okay, um, and this is off the top of my head. I don't have anything pre-written, so bear with me here. Uh, despite the fact that Jaws sparked a barrage of of awful yet some watchable. Uh, both sequels and ripoffs within the same vein of man versus nature. Um, zoom out a little bit, no pun intended. And, and realize that even if you don't consider jaws to be your favorite Spielberg film, which I, I think that for me personally, that's kind of up for debate. Um, 
you have to acknowledge that without Jaws, you don't have your favorite Spielberg film. And in, I'm glad that Spielberg hasn't gone that hipster mentality of like, you know how hipsters are like, it's kind of posh to be like the Beatles, the Beatles suck. And you're like, what? Like, just shut the fuck up, please. Um, but, um, but without Jaws is like, like the Iggy pop of, of blockbusters. Like it, as to what Iggy popped it to, you don't have the Ramones or or uh, the Sex Pistols or you know I don't know uh, any other iconic punk rock band or alternative music kind of thing. So so you don't have Raiders of the Lost Ark, you don't have the Goonies, you don't have um, uh, Saving Private Ryan, you don't have Schindler's List because Jaws was what allowed the success of this movie is what allowed those movies that you love that are Spielberg. E.T. to exist in the first place. Um, again, um, I think it, I think it holds up on a like almost a cosmically divine level. It is not remotely boring in any spot. It is the stars aligning. It is towing the line between talent, a decent script, an incredible uh, a story uh, of the production. Um, and, and what I personally appreciate about it the most is that it takes what should be a boom, a, uh, a B movie plot or idea and elevates it and, and gives, gives these B movie ideas the permission to be not a B movie, if that makes sense. So it's something that, that is timeless and it is not remotely, overrated and is incredibly incredibly important um, incredibly wonderfully violent it's very dark that's one thing i realized from one is this is like a lot darker than i remember mm -hmm. um but but it it just it's the perfect balance of all these wonderful um uh, uh essential components in into what into what is the summer blockbuster kind of like transformers with michael bay like that movie. <laughs> all right so uh how many canisters of uh, oxygen are you blowing up in a shark's mouth uh, out of 10? Oh, 10. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. All right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah pretty, for sure. Pretty incredible. Um, I, I am leaning that direction, actually, myself. Um, I grew up and, and Jaws was a cultural, you know, known entity. It was a, we, uh, we played the Nintendo, um, Nintendo game where you're going down for the conch shells. Um <laughs> But I don't know if I've ever sat down and really paid attention and watched Jaws until just the other day. And yeah, it is so well done. And uh, it's a lot darker than I, I thought it could be. I mean, there's like severed limbs that are happening in this thing. The dog gets killed. A, a little kid gets killed. And um, it's just so well done and, and well paced. It's not boring at all. Uh, I like the suspense. And, and the buildup to the shark and the final confrontation, uh, it's, it's just so brilliant and well done. And it's, it's certainly deserving of all the accolades that, uh, that come to it. And it's interesting to hear some of the background, Bobby, about uh, the making of the film. And another, another film that I think is really good in the making of is Apocalypse Now. There's actually a, a whole documentary about it. Um, I, I want to say it's called um, Hearts of Darkness, something like that. Uh, we did that episode, I think, last year of um, Apocalypse Now. And just the making of that film, it, it also has a very similar kind of story where they weren't really sure what they were going to make. 
And then they just shot and shot and shot and, and overcame obstacle after obstacle and came out with another brilliant film. And I think Jaws um, is, is in similar company, though I don't think on the level that Apocalypse Now is, at least as far as like the amount of footage that went into it and, and the amount of effort and things like that. But still a really good film. So I'm going to give it nine uh, shark attacks on, on the beach of Amity Island. So that's, uh, that's pretty high praise for me. And we'll go to you, Robert, for your final summary and review and give it a number of shark fins in your shark fin soup. So is Jaws still worth watching in 2021? Hell yes. It is, like you guys have said, it is far better than the sum of its parts. It's far better than it has any right to be. Like Bobby said, it is like basically your B-movie plot. But he combined all the right elements. Uh, you got your man versus nature. You got your horror. You got You got some marginally decent acting. I mean fairly placeholder characters except for quint who really is the standout but it's really just the i don't know the pacing everything one thing we haven't mentioned and i don't know why we we didn't but i'll bring it up at this point is uh john williams's score which is Mm -hmm. probably one of the most famous scores in movie history maybe it's not quite as famous as his work on star wars but it's pretty dang famous Uh, i don't know if it's like the movie that launched his career but then he did star wars you know two years later um it's it's understated but it's it's classic it's got it, it's that right haunting tension builder yeah foreboding but, building yeah exactly it just you, you hear it and i'm sure when you know if you're watching the movie silently which i know they do in the before the movie all comes together it's probably you know they watch it and they're like yeah this probably isn't very good but then they watch it when the score is done, all the sound effects are done, all the special effects are done, all the editing's all done and tight. And then they're like, oh, wait a minute. We, we, it actually all came together somehow. And I think that's what happened with Jaws. Uh, it's a movie that's better than the sum of its parts. It's a classic. It obviously inspired genres. Um, all the schlock that we have gotten over the years, we all got it because of Jaws, but we also got a whole bunch of good stuff because of it like like bobby was saying we wouldn't have jurassic park we wouldn't have raiders if it wasn't for this and uh man i'm I'm glad i'm glad it exists it's still worth watching and i'm gonna give it same as daniel nine i wanted to give a half because i I like the idea of a half a swimmer a bloody half a swimmer but i can't (laughs) it's it's nine whole swimmers and only one swimmer got chomped in half so there's nine whole swimmers out of 10 fantastic movie yes sir uh can i make one point because like you said we didn't really bring up john williams's score um perhaps this is an inappropriate time to to bring it up but but if you notice um what's robert shaw's character's name again uh quint quint Quint. the the scene where in the very end and as brilliant and necessary and elevating as the score is the, the scene at the very end where Quint is getting the boat is getting attacked by Jaws and Quint gets eaten by Jaws. There is no music and it is absolutely divine. It is absolutely visceral. You do not feel like you're watching a movie. Horrifying. Excellent choice not to not to put a score in that scene. Well noted, I would agree. I think that that helps it to stand out, especially when you have music throughout the rest of the film to have that contrast 
Like something is different. This is climactic. And we're going to let the gravity of the scene play itself. And then after that part's over, you kick in the adventure music, the adventure score, and Brody climbs the, what is that called? The mast or whatever of the, of the boat. To the crow's nest, yeah. The crow's nest. And it's just like, oh, God, it's so fucking, it's just so fucking good. God, that movie's so good. I'm going to go watch it again after this <laughs> podcast. All right. Well, well done, everyone. I think that uh, we maybe have created a podcast that's better than some of its parts, our individual contributions. Um, I usually don't feel so good about it, an episode, but I do feel pretty good about this one. So, Bobby, thank you so much for <laughs> what joining us. What does that us. say about my previous appearances? Apparently, it says a lot. <laughs> All right. I'm very insecure when I come on this show. <laughs> no, no. All of your appearances have been great. Otherwise, we wouldn't have you back. All um, right. But this this was a really good episode, and I, I like the theme of uh, Spielberg so much that we're going to stick with it, and we're going to actually do Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark what? next week. That's right. Sweet. Surprise, everyone. Uh, it's 40 years Hi, young, Hi. and uh, they are actually shooting Indiana Jones 5, or they were until Harrison Ford got injured and uh, <laughs> hurt his shoulder and had to have surgery. He's old eight. man. I He's hate 2021. <laughs> He's 80-something, so so I don't know if they're they're uh, they're on a hiatus right now while he recovers from that. But Raiders of, the, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is what kicked it all off. It's an excellent film, uh, and we are going to have the great Prof. CJ of the Dangerous History Podcast who wow. also is a wow. his, his, historian. He's a professor of history. So not, not of archaeology, but he's he's our own, um, you know, uh, Harrison Ford, uh, Indiana Jones type guy. And he's going to be on for that next week. So it should be a lot of fun. That's Oh, man, I'm dressed for next week's episode right now. I'm ahead That's of the right. game. I like it. You look like Florida man. You're dressed for like a Dom DeLuise movie review right now. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, that, that should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, people can find the show notes and more for this episode at lastnerds.com slash 184, where you can find links to Bobby's podcast, the Not For Everyone podcast with his co-host, Crude Rude Dude. And uh, Bobby, why don't you just tell everyone uh, who's listening where they can easily find your podcast and anything else. Uh, you can mention uh, the Renegade History thing again, and, and uh, we will... Uh, Sign off after that and get in some Patreon bonus content, which we affectionately called Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Yeah, um, we are available if you if you want any hot takes on 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 film beyond what uh, the Last Nighters has to offer. Not for Everyone podcast is on uh, pretty much all podcatchers. We don't have a video thing going. Uh, mostly, we don't have video because I have to edit out a lot of the more egregious, egregious, like political, like really vulgar, awful things we say that I don't want in the public domain, public forum. Um, but yeah, uh, Spotify, iTunes, uh, all, Google Play, all that stuff. Uh, Not for everyone podcast. Two cynical man children uh, discuss pop culture and explore their flawed friendship through the lens of cult cinema. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's it's it might be it's not for everyone, but it might it might be for you. Well, it is definitely for me. I've listened to all 100 existing episodes and congratulations. Wow. Congratulations wow. on getting to episode 100. Now, I, I, I say that with a caveat because I believe some of your early episodes actually aren't available, but I've listened to every available episode. And so I'll, send, like, I'll send them to you. Okay. Did you start at the beginning? I jumped around for a while and then I just went back as far as I could, which I think was episode seven or eight or something like that. I, and, don't, I don't think we catch our groove till about episode 20, Night of the Demons. Or Night of the Demon. 
And then okay. we do Night of the Demons later. Well, I, I really enjoyed it. I felt like it, it's kind of weird, but when you listen to certain podcasts and, and you guys have a camaraderie between the two of you because you guys are friends, and I've heard that talked about with, with Robert and I's show here, but you guys spend the first half of the show just berating each other, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But you don't even get mm-hmm. to the movie until <laughs> well into it. Um, I started in the show notes uh, mentioning where the movie review actually starts. It's usually around the 40, 45 minute. Uh, there's segments, though. It's not like we're just just bullshitting. Well, we are. No, yeah, like, yeah. Like, we uh, try to have a structure there. But you're right. I think that's worth noting is is the first half of it is has nothing to do with the movie that we're discussing. But I think it's probably my favorite part. And, and in a way, I kind of feel like I'm in the room and sort of participating in a way, even though I'm not saying anything. But it's like I'm just sitting there on the couch half drunk listening to two guys like just rib each other and uh, it's a lot of fun awesome. awesome so i don't know if that's any more than a ringing endorsement than, than i could possibly give but uh, i highly recommend your for. show thank you thank you we <laughs> got a right. uh, real quick we got a we got a um we're kind of what we're calling now that we've done 100 episodes we're going into what we call the master class now so we've kind of got a lot of the kind of b-movie schlock slashers and things like that out of the way that not to say we'll never go back to that stuff but we're getting into like weird 70s psychedelic art house shit now that's not for everyone um and and i'm 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 anxious that we might be alienating an audience that we've already built up but i don't care because it's my show and i want to talk about jordowski and brian de palma and and people like that as opposed to just throw away horror movies from the 1980s and I like it. I like it. Um, I actually watched uh, A Boy and His Dog because of you. You're welcome. <laughs> it, it was pretty good. I don't know if we do it on this show, but it was definitely worth a watch. But uh, anyway, another episode that will be worth a watch is our one next week with Prof. CJ as we do Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark that kicked it all off 40 long years ago. And uh, with that, we're going to go into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive after this. And you guys can get a, a hold of that at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Send some money our way and you get access to that. Uh, any final words, Robert, before we get into that and uh, say goodnight? You know, in this in this wave of heat that is uh, enveloping this uh, area that I am living in. Thanks, capitalism, you sons of bitches. <laughs> if we had socialism somehow, this would all be fixed. I don't know. They never explain exactly how, but that for some reason you wouldn't have like, i guess you'd shut down all industry right and then you'd have zero carbon emissions and then somehow that fixes the environment i guess if you fall into that and then of course you know you just kill off half the planet but you know nobody likes humans i like humans i'm on team human i hope you're on team human thanks for listening to this podcast it's a lot of fun with bobby it's always fun with bobby sounds a little bit meh, but it is true and uh <laughs> come on back for raiders uh, tune into Bobby's <laughs> podcast. Daniel's right. These, these guys actually put a whole lot of effort into their podcast. They like script stuff. They do segments that are actually well thought out ahead of time. They're not just riffing off the top of their heads and bullshitting. So it's if you all, like a smoking the bandit improv, baby, <laughs> if you like a polished experience, check out the not for everyone podcast. It is a good time. If you like hanging with the boys. Yeah, totally agree. And I do. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, Bobby. And we will have show notes and more galore on lastnighters.com slash 184 on our 4th of July episode on Jaws. So thank you guys. And we'll see you guys all next week with Prosty J for Indiana Jones. Peace out and uh, happy 4th, everyone. Good night from last night.